Hello. On this podcast, we talk about movies, their faults, their flaws, and their plots. So, expect some spoilers. You've been warned. Welcome to Plot Spackle. I'm Eric, and birds aren't real. I'm Richard, and I found this new Japanese RPG that I want I want us all to play, but the rules are kind of complicated, but you know what? It'll be easier just to play it. I'm John, and did you guys know about this little game called Bloodborne? But, uh, we gotta, we gotta talk about uh, plot holes first. I mean, I guess, Eric. Wait, wait a second. Let's grab our masks off. I was really John. I was really Richard. You weren't Richard. I was Richard the whole time. Ah, shoot. (laughs) Messed up. That's why you're never going to make it as a spy game. Or, Or maybe it's like a false flag operation. They let me see my incompetence and think no one's that incompetent. But, uh, yeah, plot holes. We're filling these plot holes with stuff. We're going to fill them with uh, doves and fire. Discarded face masks. So basically, like, something after the pandemic, right? Yeah. Yeah. Which, because guess what, guys? That means we're talking about Mission Impossible. And I know we thought we weren't ever going to do TV series, but we are now. And I'm super hyped that we chose this one first. Uh kind of weird to start at season two but not gonna argue that's where we get jim phelps taking over from nathan briggs uh gonna step on your toes because there's a lot of plots to go over with all the different episodes uh Um, so we started in september 10th 1967 richard we need a plot synopsis first and well well, i mean you can start with like do you want to are we going to start with the widow uh go into trek the survivors I, i see that there was a miscommunication here richard we're, we were not talking about Mission Impossible Season 2. We're talking about Mission Impossible 2, the movie, with Ethan Hunt, not Phelps. What? You know, 2 Mission 2 Impossible? What? With John Woo? Uh, no. No. <laughs> no. Nope. I'm out. All right, then. Well, I guess plot synopsis. Well, I'm sure once he watches and realizes it's an incredibly dumb movie, he he might be able to forgive it for being dumb. At least it doesn't have any beloved characters heel turning. Yeah. I mean, it just means that this episode will be 100% fact free. Okay, guys, welcome back. Now that I've endured that. Not a Richard lives under the rock, but (laughs) he chose not to watch this. It wasn't a... A lack of knowledge. I knew it existed. I just didn't like it. Well then, let's get on. For everyone who hasn't seen it, let's do a little bit of plot synopsizing. So Mission Impossible 2 starts with Tom Cruise as Ethan Hunt, the hero from the last movie. Ethan Hunt is sent on an impossible mission to catch a... something called chimera 
We don't know what Chimera is until, well, later in the movie when we find out Chimera is actually a virus. And, surprise, surprise, an ex-Mission Impossible agent. I actually don't remember what the name of their agency is, but... Is it IHA? IMF. Whatever. IMF. Oh, is it Mission Impossible? Impossible Mission Force. Oh. Well, then. I guess I should have watched the TV series to learn that. Yeah. It's okay. It's okay. Anyways, Ethan Hunt is is ordered to track down this chimera virus which is like a bad flu it's super flu it's like if you took every flu together and made one flu like in a secret laboratory and then you let it loose on the populace to make money so yeah so that's basically that what the chimera virus is but luckily there happens to be an antidote which the antagonist of the film has he has it right no, no, the bad guys have it. The antagonist, he says that. Oh yeah, the antagonist. Yeah, they managed to get the. They get the. They don't have the virus. The antagonists have the antidote. Yeah, they thought they were getting the antidote and the virus together, mm-hmm. but they only got the one because they didn't realize where the virus is being held. And they killed the golden goose, so to say. Yes. Anyways, so Ethan Hunt has to either destroy the virus or obtain the antidote which he does after fighting the antagonist who happens to be an ex-agent of the impossible mission force imf which i totally knew was a thing sure but in this movie there are car car dances motorcycle fights and flaming doves I don't think the doves were on fire Mm, they could have there was just a lot of fire around the doves have you seen a bird on fire? I've seen bird on a wire. Surprisingly flammable. Not that I would know. I've seen a bird get hit by a truck. I've ran into a bird, it, not in my truck, but it was kind of kind of sad, but kind of comical as well. It The stupid thing literally flew in front of my car, hit the headlamp, and like cartoonishly flipped up in the air. I have also rear-ended a bird before. Well, I didn't rear-end a bird. It It hit me. Hey, I the bird decided to fly in front of me and put on its brakes, so it got rear-ended. Stupid birds. No wonder they don't exist. Well, I mean, I guess they exist. They're just not real. Nothing could be that dumb. Except for the government drones, apparently. I mean, robots are obviously dumb. They can be dumb. Can be smart. <laughs> I, I was waiting for you to see robots are dumb and being like, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> You almost stepped into it. Almost, but not almost. All right. Uh, Let's see. Did we cover everything? Uh, Basically. um, Also, there's a girl that he likes. Oh, yeah. There is a girl and she decides to self-sacrifice, but he saves her at the end. We talked about the motorcycle fights, right? We did. And the car dances. Yep. That's basically what Mission Impossible 2 is. It is uh, spectacles and light plot. I mean, I guess the plot is there as a nice shellacle. It's true. It has a much simpler plot than the original film. So, on to facts, then, about this movie. Yeah. Yeah, kiss kiss your back so we can have actual facts. All right. Uh, This film was released on May 28th, uh, year 2000. It was big turn-of-the-century film and is the epitome of 2000s action films. 
It had a $125 million estimated budget, uh, earned $57.8 million in its opening weekend, $215 million in the U.S. and Canada, but $546 million worldwide, and ended up being the highest grossing film of 2000. It beat out Gladiator by like, a hundred and four million. Well, the art is dead. I, I think it more has to do with the uh, ratings here, because Gladiators and R. That's true. And this one's PG thirteen. Yep, it is in fact John Woo's first PG thirteen film. But uh, some other fun things on there. We were already we were going to have our bad guy from this film end up being. Uh, Wolverine in X-Men, but because there was a bunch of rainstorms and filming ended up taking way longer on this movie, he had to back out of X-Men, and so they recast a young scrappy guy known as Hugh Jackman. An Australian playing a Canadian? It'll never never work. It's a Canadian mutant. (sighs) You can't call him that, John. (laughs) Yeah, normally I would say something bad like that, but John... I, expect I mean, that's better. what X-Men's all about, is mutants. Have you watched that movie? We did an episode of it. That's mm-hmm. what I thought. And you know what happens with the f- f- uh, toads that get struck by lightning? Same thing that happens to everything else? Ah, so bad. <laughs> but, uh, no, there was... Um, the movie was originally supposed to be a three-and-a-half-hour film, but... Uh, the studio was just, no, you, you can't do that. And so it had to get cut down to the two hours that it is now. Uh, I know there was, for a while, a 163-minute work print available for, across some bootleg sources. But uh, it's it's not widely available, and they never did a John Woo cut. So... It's a bit harder to obtain things like that without uh, sailing, sailing some pirate seas. I mean, I am wondering, in that three-hour print, how much slow-mo is in it? Who knows? Probably 75%, considering uh, based off of uh, yeah, the I, amount in this movie. But you just got to watch the based version, record the total amount of slow-mo in it, then compare that to the uh, longer cuts to determine... Did he cut down proportionally, or did we mostly lose slow motion? That I'm not sure did, about. Did the, the three-hour print have a full day of Ethan Hunt in slow-mo? like In slow-mo kick? Yeah, he's like, coming out of bed in slow motion, standing up in slow motion, brushing his teeth, slow motion, pouring the milk into the cereal. I think it would just be quick. Uh, it would be quick cuts, though. Oh, well, you gotta do a quick cut from slow-mo to slow-mo. Mm-hmm. It would be a lot more montage. <laughs> but uh, I know in this film, this is one of those uh, films that was notorious for Tom Cruise lying to his insurance company about how many stunts he was going to be doing. I just want to say, like, I think the insurance, at least by now, the insurance company definitely knows, like, oh, Tom Cruise is doing a Mission Impossible movie. Jack up his rates. Mm-hmm. But... He he did a lot. I think he ended up doing something like 95% of his own stunts for this film. Uh, one of the 
things that I was interesting was there is the bit where there's the knife really close to his eye. That one was actually, it was not a camera trick. They just had a very carefully measured cable. Oh, so it couldn't, so, so, so they, couldn't get any closer. So that it couldn't get any closer, but you were like, if you hold it tight, it'll stop a quarter of an inch from his eye. You know, as much as his insurance companies complain, it's, he's still alive. He is and still he alive. has far less broken bones than Jackie Chan does. So I think it's okay for if he does his own stunts. Well, how many bones has he broken on? So this is for general Mission Impossible stuff. And I don't know. But I know that he's broken a bunch of bones on the Mission Impossible movies. Mm-hmm. I know in the, I think the most recent one, he literally broke his ankle, like snapped it clean in half. And you, it's in the trailer. You can see it happen. Yeah. No, he, he does get hurt quite a bit. Uh, like I said, where um, antagonist actor, I don't remember his name. Woolsey. Go back up to my casting crew. Uh, Doug Ray Scott, uh, he ended up getting hurt during the motorcycle filming bits, which is why we got uh, Hugh Jackman Wolverine. So, like, there are problems with actors doing their own stunts, and there's a reason why they jack up his insurance rates and go, no, Tom, you're not allowed to do those stunts. And then he does those stunts. And then he does those stunts anyway. (laughs) Uh, Like the rock climbing one, Mm -hmm. he... He did those. He's just like, I'm just climbing rocks. You just climb rocks, man. But uh, John Woo is not a big fan of heights. And so he did not actually go to those particular <laughs> shoots because he was not going to, he didn't even want to look at it. That, that was all B team. That was all B team. And it was just Tom, take them and do your thing. We're not. No, thank you. Uh, this is also the first film that, film that Metallica did a song for. Which one was that? Um, what is the song that they use? Because I don't like. Maybe this, it was in the credits. Pro- oh, it probably was the credits. The only s- music I remember from this movie. I disappear. Okay. Uh, but specifically, I disappear is important here because it was the first one they did for this, and it got. L- there was an early release that got leaked that included this song. And so the song ended up getting passed around online and is the basis of the Metallica versus Napster lawsuit in the early two thousands. You know, the argument that mission impossible two is a extremely influential to, uh, other things, other things is, is really panning out here for it being a, a terrible movie. It does impact a lot of things. I mean, that's kind of how it happens, though. Like, a terrible thing happens, and then, like, the the Titanic sinks, and all of a sudden we need to have more lifeboats on boats. It's one of those, like... I I think this is just, you know, the the butterfly wing. Uh, Oh, the um, chaos theory? Yeah. Um, Because it's not like X-Men wasn't going to happen without this. But it probably, like, we would have been dancing around looking for our Wolverine. Mm-hmm. We, like, he would have, we would have swapped through a couple of different actors. Because oh, then... they might have done the three and then, like, okay, well, the X-Men is done. The The third movie bombed. It wasn't very, very good. And then get a new actor for the new, new ones that showed up. Mm-hmm. Instead, everyone's like, 
there's the theories like, is Hugh Jackman going to return to the MCU as Wolverine? He said he he would consider it. He's too old now. Mm, I, like, he's Australian. Too old to consider for training. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, then you just start doing some of the Old Man Logan stuff. Ooh, Old Man Logan was good. But this isn't an X-Men podcast right now. No, no it's Mission Impossible. It's just, it touches everything. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Mission Impossible created the uh, 21st century. It's almost as if it's a chimera of Well, if you want some entertaining bits that is vaguely plot relevant, uh, it does follow the same basic plot as the Alfred Hitchcock film Notorious, where you have the uh, agent recruits a woman who's doing a bunch of illegal stuff and in trouble with the law to get involved with the bad guys who have their dangerous weapon and the your main character agent falls in love with the woman and the bad and she ends up getting poisoned and the good guy has to save her at the end so you know go check out some alfred alfred hitchcock stuff oh and that's a plot spackle fact right there go watch a better movie (laughs) (laughs) i haven't seen that but i would assume a burn there but i mean it is uh ingrid bergman and cary grant so it's pretty solid casting. But any are we done with facts? Are we ready to move into plot holes? I think we're pretty good on plot holes. Or, or plot we need to move on to plot holes. We need to move on to plot holes. We're I think done we're with good facts. on facts. No more facts after this point. We're just not at all. Facts mm-hmm. are gonna show up, guys. It's how it works. The sky is red now. That's not true, Eric. You can't just make things up. Nah, it's a fact free podcast now. <sighs> Wait, wait, we just have this to adjust This is the problem with AI-generated stuff. Just just turn it. There we go. Now you got the right color filter. All right, so where are we getting our plot holes from? We are getting some from IMDb and also from MovieMistakes.com because there is a plethora of plot holes. Turns out that if you cut like an hour and a half out of a movie things stop making quite as much sense so should we have that be maybe a gimme for one of the plot holes <laughs> it would kind of the the somehow palpatine returned oh. no no we don't forgive these people for do this is the cut they gave us so this is the plot that they decided was going to be good enough and it wasn't i mean and you can only bring palpatine in once per movie it's the once pal, the palpatine once per rule okay so pick Carefully, which plot hole is uh, resolved because Palpatine returns. All right, then. So the first one from IMDb. After a brutal fight with the villain's henchman, Ethan tricks the villain by placing a mask of his own face onto the henchman after duct taping the henchman's mouth closed. Then Ethan puts on a mask of the henchman's face and changes clothes with him. All this would take considerable time, of course, even if Ethan did just happen to be carrying a mask of his own own face and a mask of the henchman's face as well both of which seem highly unlikely i'm going to fix this really quick obviously he was carrying a mask of the henchman's and his well own it, face. it's not just a random henchman either this is the like second in command henchman and they knew this henchman was working i'd mm-hmm. assume part of the original plan involved doing the swap from the beginning yeah it's one of those ones where it's the A lot of times in spy fiction and in uh, heist style things is that we as the audience don't get told the full plan. 
And we were never told their plan for how they were going to get in through here. I mean, they didn't even include it in the opening credits. And so we just know that all he has these. So clearly he was planning on doing some kind of switch. I think he was probably planning on, you know, getting himself captured to get in. Yeah. And doing the switch there to get involved in it somehow. But uh, the bad guy found him quicker, so this is how it worked out. And we don't know exactly how much time he took to do the switcheroo. We don't. Because things are happening in a lot of bullet cuts and doves on fire. And it's the guy was in the middle of monologuing about how he wants stock options and his villainous plan to have loads of money. And if you've ever heard someone talk about how much they want stock options, time just slows down. But also, I'm going to throw this out there. I don't think Ethan Hunt brought a version of his own face. I think he took Ambrose's. Because we know Ambrose has at least two. And he's obsessed with Ethan Hunt. He, like, does research on him. So he he probably found Ambrose's Ethan Hunt um, fan room. Like, the little altar he has to Ethan Hunt. Was Ethan Hunt sufficiently creeped out by the altar? He doesn't show it, though, because he's a professional. But yes, yes, he, after this whole thing was done, he, like, washes his hands. I mean, that's just sanitary. <laughs> but yeah, so, so he just, yeah, he has Ambrose's uh, personal stash mask. He puts on the other guy, because the plan was probably originally just to pretend to be the henchman to get in to certain locations. But then he's like, you know what? I'm going to swap faces with this guy, because I happen to have this and i'm not gonna wear it so he can wear it and he's like i'll just make sure he's duct taped so we can't say anything because uh i'd actually don't have the the voice thing and it that actually would make a lot more sense which is why he had to duct tape the face instead of just putting a voice on there well also you know that way this henchman doesn't shout out oh i'm actually him and he's like no but that's the other thing though is that he didn't need to bring a voice modulator of his own voice which, if it was part of the plan to do the switch, he might have brought a voice modulator for his own voice, so that even like if he if you've got him duct taped, the mumbles would be sound like him. But I mean, they don't. They actually do sound like the other guy's voice when he's making the cries of pain after getting shot. So it lends more and more credence to the Ethan Hunt mask coming from somewhere else than being part of the initial plan and just Ethan Hunt improvising with the I do have this guy's face. It turns out I have my own now, too. And uh, I assume that uh, Ethan Hunt is very quick at changing costumes. Oh, yeah. I mean, we have a... It's a part of his whole process as a changing your outfit. It's just shirts and pants and shoes, basically. Sure. Probably not even the shoes. Like, if they're wearing close enough shoes... Mm-hmm. It's just like, all right, shirts, pants, jacket. I mean, not to sound sexist or anything, but guys tend to get dressed faster than girls, so. Well, and in this case, like, with the shoes, if you're wearing some kind of black shoe, Mm -hmm. as long as it's the same color. He only needs the ruse to last long enough to get in and grab the antidote. Is he wearing Mm -hmm. a I can't remember. Was he wearing a jacket? That might be the Yes, he was. So that's even easier. Just switch the, swap the jackets around and zip it up. You don't have to change the undershirt. Easy peasy. 
All right. I think that one's sufficiently slain. Okay. So then let's go into the next one, where at the start of the movie, we've got uh, Dr. Nekorovich, who tells Dmitri that he has to be in Atlanta within 20 hours of exposure. And even if it were possible for him to inject himself, get to the airport, and then get on a plane with a 15-hour flight from Sydney to L.A., and then from L.A. to Atlanta on a commercial airliner, he would not have made it in time. Was it a commercial liner? Yes, it was. Okay, I'm just, could he have chartered? My thought here is that the flight from Sydney to L.A. is a standard flight because they're trying to be as low low profile of getting him out of the country. And then his plan, he because he thought he was working with IMF, was that once he was on, you know, like extradited soil they could then put him on a quick plane and you no longer have to be secrecy because he's already out of where uh biocyte could have taken care of it done anything about it and so you land in la we hop you on a quick jet and get you there and also this was in 2000 so it's before major uh security updates and so it's a lot faster to get through airports Mm -hmm. you just go to your gate and check in yeah, he could definitely, I'm assuming he knew, okay, I need to, this is the flight I need to be to LA at X time tomorrow where IHA was going to pick me up. Well, yeah. and he thought he was working with IMF the whole uh, time. I, did I say IHA, IMF, whatever. It's okay. A- acronym, acronym, acronym. Three letter word or three letter acronym. Government work. Um... Extra governmental work. Work on them TLAs. So, so yeah. So the the plan was is to take a much faster flight from LA. Yeah, it's once he's on American soil and is is safely away from the people he thinks is pursuing him. You don't have to take a commercial airliner. You can get on a quick jet and get there. You don't have to work with the. They don't have to take him through a commercial flight. Just hop him on a military jet and get him there. I mean, they it, they said it was a seven forty seven, right? Could they have just done like a seven seven seven, which I would assume is faster? It was a seven forty seven. You no, know, the the it, initial jet was the a initial, initial jet. The initial jet, I think, the one that crashed as well. But whatever reason, I mean, I'm assuming there's faster passenger jets. I'm, Did they say which mountain range it crashed into? The Rockies. So it was he was in the flight. To Atlanta. To Atlanta from uh, L.A. Mm-hmm. So. So the second flight was also a 747 then. Yeah. I, I've i never flown across the Pacific Ocean. I would assume it would be a bigger plane just because. All right. So. So maybe. The, when uh, I was on my way to, uh, to Spain, we went from L.A. to uh, England. But the guy on the flight next to me was flying from Australia to Sweden. And this was like, he went from uh, Australia to LA. And he said that was a 15 hour flight. So we know that's correct. Mm -hmm. And that would have been like, like three or four years after this. So we can say that's right. But I think the five hours or less from, uh, I think the flight from LA to Atlanta is faster than they're saying. Well, I know having flown from here to the East Coast before, 
it's about a three-hour flight. So there's not much wiggle room. They probably could have arranged it so that it's... It would be a very strict schedule. But he still would have been able to make it. He could have made it, especially if you're fast-tracking through security st- through security to get onto planes. And you're, you've got the actual schedule, let's get up and get going. And I'm assuming that these, um, at least the guy, the ex-agent, would know all the tricks to get through airports faster just because... VIP? They'd have to use use it to to just get through. And it's like, okay, if I bribe this person, they'll let us through a little bit faster. Or, I mean, they're going to look Well, especially because look look at the payout that he was planning on getting out of this. Oh, yeah, he's going to put some extra... He's willing to throw some extra cash to get through security to get what he wants. The point is... In 2000, it was real easy to get a person filled with deadly disease from one end of the world to the other. It's true. That has absolutely no relevance to modern things. None at all. And so, like, nowadays, it would be a lot harder. Though, with the flight to, uh, like, landing from Sydney to L.A., he wouldn't have to go through security again. He would already be behind the gates. Well, I think there's even a Atlanta from Australia flight already. Because I, I remember reading that somewhere that it that he wouldn't even have to go over the Rockies, but... Unless he went to this LA one. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, we know he's over the Rockies, so maybe that flight from Australia to Atlanta wouldn't have happened in the right time frame. Anyways, that's not that plot hole. We should, I, I had considered the other one solved. Okay. I'm just doing a real quick check, uh, for a flight, uh, LA to Atlanta. I'm getting a bunch of different times. So I don't know if that's how many hours away for that flight so a is. non-stop flight from la to atlanta is four hours and 20 minutes okay it's it would close. be it'd be close but he just has to get in there give him the blood sample and then pop the uh the antidote the antidote and the the antidote works still right on the timer we know that from later in the film yes because that's the point that's the point of no return with viral load it's not when you die it's just when you're the even if you got the antidote, it wouldn't be able to save you. Unless you happen to be the person who's immune to it anyways. Yes. Alright. So how about this plot hole, guys? During the motorcycle chase, several of the maneuvers shown are simply impossible to perform one-handed. I mean, they did it. We watched them do it. That's not a plot hole. Maybe for plebeians, but trained impossible mission agents. Yeah, at this point, he says that these are impossible to perform, and that is literally their job to perform the impossible. Yeah. Well, there you go. As long as as you're humming the theme to yourself (laughs) while you're performing these motorcycle stunts one-handed. Now... My question is, is how many of these stunts that were impossible was he actually doing one-handed? Because, I mean, sure, you're holding a gun, but 
like you can still like maybe control the things a little bit while holding the gun is if you're not actively firing. Well, and as we discuss in the film, there is gradients on levels of impossible. Yes. From true. merely difficult to outright impossible and that he does impossible regularly. So difficult. It shouldn't be that bad. Maybe the poster here just needs to recognize just because it's impossible for them to do this one handed doesn't mean someone with more skill and practice can't. Now, I think that some of them it's because they're like they're you're in the middle of having your gun fight while doing a front nosed wheelie on your motorcycle and doing a front nosed wheelie on the motorcycle involves using both the brake with the left hand and the accelerator with the right hand to carefully maintain that balance point. And so it's hard for you to then take your hand off and shoot a gun at somebody else while maintaining speed and braking. All right. But all the motorcycles involved in this chasing happen to be motorcycles being used by Ambrose's uh, spy agency. So maybe they have been all modified to allow you to control it, uh, brake and uh, thrust with one hand. So you have one hand free to shoot a gun. That's what I would tend to believe is that these have been modified. Uh, they modified spy cycles basically so that you, instead of having to run, control it both hands, you can control via one hand and then that way you can still murder people. Cause Ambrose is all about the guns. He is. He wants, he wants to get his gun on. And so everyone who works with him is going to be the same way. He's going to take them all out and says, all right, this is a different than most motorcycles. Maybe many of you haven't used these before, but I'll show you how to use these because they're different and it would be impossible for you to do these normal maneuvers while also shooting somebody. But with this motorcycle, you'll be able to. So there you go. So for the next plot hole, uh, coming back to the plane issues... So from his RT skills, it would have been noticeable very early to the 747 crew that Stamp was an imposter. At cruise, altitude should be reported as flight level, not height in feet, i.e. descending to flight level 160 rather than altitude 16000. He should also not have autonomously made an altitude change without either formally declaring an emergency or requesting descent clearance. So I'm going to so for the last part wasn't everyone knocked out? Why would he declare to... It, there was a, the beginning of knocking everyone out where he's like, oh, um, we're putting on the oxygen masks because we're losing oxygen and uh, I'm going down to a lower level and then they accelerated to an even lower level. And so my thought is, what are they going to do at this point to stop it from happening? Yeah, they're in the process of being knocked out. Like, what can they do? And... Uh, so when he says requesting dis uh, requesting descent clearance, like what's the tower going to do? Stop them? They're going to say, no, you're not cleared. And he's like, oh. I'm in the plane. I think he's also on the, I'm literally flying over the Rockies. There's not a whole lot of radio towers that they, he's going to be communicating with for flight. He could have just been doing an open broadcast. Now, admittedly, his radio transmitting skills are a bit low if you should be descending with uh, height with uh, flight level rather than uh, height in feet, 
but that would have tipped, you know, sure that would have tipped off the other people in the pilot's compartment, but I'm willing to bet that those guys were already knocked out to prevent the, so that they wouldn't interrupt whatever he was doing. So it was only the crew in the back cabin that he goes, oh, hey, by the way, we're losing pressure. You need to take care of this. And I think that they might have been a little bit preoccupied. And sure, the investigation for the plane crash would have been like, the pilot said this at this point. And they're like, oh, and we'll add that to their notes. And then in a year, they'll say, we think something fishy was happening. Because the pilot used the wrong terminology. And so probably this wasn't our regular pilot. And that's all they would be able to do. Yeah, it's like, what what's going to happen? Who's going to stop him? Maybe Harrison Ford could. I don't know. If Harrison Ford was on the plane, but he wasn't. Thank goodness. He was on Air Force One. And Nicolas Cage couldn't do anything because he was on Con Air. I mean... All our heroes were on the wrong plane. And all we had was knock off uh, Ethan Hunt. Because it was the bad guy pretending to be Ethan Hunt. So... Let's talk a little bit about Mr. Ethan Hunt, shall we? Because that's our next plot hole. Because Ethan runs into a bunch of armed bad guys that are shooting at him while trying to escape from the island fortress. And he taps them on the jaw and lays them out flat so that then, like, two minutes later, they end up waking up and rejoining the fray to come and try and kill him. Or maybe the idea is that they're remaining unconscious until the director shouts cut here? I mean, obviously, they ought to be either killed or tied and gagged, but Ethan here is a gentle soul and doesn't like taking life. What we're trying to get at is that his fight victims never wake up after he punches them in the middle of the fight, except for the bad guy at the very end who's like, oh, I'm totally unconscious, except now I have a gun and I'm going to shoot you. I take exception with the phrase, lightly taps them on the jaw, because at least one guy, he did a... uh butterfly slow motion kick to most of these people he does slow-mo kicks to that's my problem with this plot hole is that no he john woo slow-mo kicks all of these people he does not like tapping this is usually a longer fight multiple hits and a for sure hit on the head while they're down and from an extended one we know he's carrying around duct tape Mm-hmm. And we know that he is gagging people. So what's to say they're just not showing the fact that he's gagging, flipping them over, and wrapping up their hands too. And so when it goes into the fleeing the fortress, these are just the people who have then been woken up and cut out of their duct tape bonds. Which there weren't that many. I mean, there's just a lot of people who weren't in those fights at all. Yeah. Because we see what? he While he's doing that infiltration, there's... The guard that gets thrown over the edge. Yes. Um, the next guard. There who... are the two guards on the doorway. Yes. And the main henchman that we actually see a fight with. That's four people on the full thing when the fight at the end is with like 12. And most of them explode. Yeah, most of the, those guys end up dead. So I'm just thinking he took the path of least resistance through there. He would have taken the path of least resistance out too, if they just decided to let him go. Yeah. Well, and he would have let him live. Can't help that his a uh, oversights willing to use a bazooka. Well, they wouldn't have had to use the bazooka if they weren't trying to chase down Ethan hunt. Just let Ethan hunt win. Yeah. But 
that's their job though. It's like specifically don't let Ethan Hunt win. I think it's in their contracts. It probably is. Look, they that's can get a new job. Have you seen the market at that time? Market at the time was actually pretty yeah, good. Yeah, I was just saying it's pretty good. 9-11 really screwed everything up, but but I think in this case they were just afraid of what their crazy boss would do because he has already chopped off the finger of his right hand man. I was gonna say which gave him the snip snip on his no, uh, with, was with it his... on his right hand? His right hand man's right hand? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or was it his left hand? It was I think it was his left because it gets twisted yeah. up behind him. Ah, missed the pun. Look, is to breed make him more loyal because if you remove the left-hand man from your right-hand man, he's only more right-handed. He is more right-hand. It's okay. He's all right now. Oh, so he's okay? No, he lost his arm. Anyways, I think the Arrested Development did that joke. They did, but it's a good joke. It is a good joke. All right. So, at around 1 hour and 57 minutes, they ask for the whereabouts of Miss Hall. She still has the tracking device installed, so far as the plot shows, and therefore they know her location and most likely the location of Ethan Hunt as well, so they don't need to ask where he is going on vacation. I, I don't see this as a plot hole. I'm... Okay, let's assume... Now, 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 when they say 157, are they talking They're about... the end of the movie, it, it... where they go on their vacation at the end, and there's like the carnival... But isn't that whole conversation of, you know, don't tell us where you're going because otherwise it's not a not a vacation vacation. So they could look to see. And who says that she still has that tracker? It's not like a. Their whole thing is that as far as the plot shows, it was never removed because if it didn't happen on camera, it didn't happen for this person for this poster. I'm thinking the battery just died on it. All right. So based off of their logic. Um, Ethan Hunt died of dehydration. Oh yeah, he ne- we never see him drink water, and uh, the we know the story happens over like uh, seventy two hours. Should have happened. He's, yeah, he's he's dead. Also, I don't think that this is an actual plot hole, because all your only problem is that they don't need to ask where he is, uh, for going on vacation, and as we saw at the beginning of the film where he already didn't tell them where he was going on vacation and they found up and showed up, showed up and gave him a mission anyway, they don't need him to tell. They know. I mean, maybe it's so-so with, because uh, she's a civilian. They, they can't just use the tracking device unless it's uh, agreed to. I mean, she's not a criminal at the moment. Yeah. She went to jail, so she served her time. And part of for the agreement with her doing doing the job for the IMF was clearing up her record. So they will choose not to track her even if they could. Yeah. Not a plot hole, but, you know, here's all of your solutions for this thing. Or, you know, that just, you know, it's a short-term tracker that lasts for so long and then it's out of your system. Like, did we see how it was installed? Yeah, it was injected. So I'd assume that maybe eventually dissolves. Dissolves, or they took it out when they probably took her into the hospital to make her make sure that, hey, the virus is dying. We don't need this tracker in anymore because mm-hmm. it's probably going to cause an infection. Because 
generally inserting foreign objects into a body is not Causes good. things to happen to the body? Although they could use medical grade stuff. I mean, like people. I'd get assume their that they use medical grade stuff because it's meant to be inserted. Exactly. But it's also not very big if it can be injected with a needle. So the battery's not going to be very but big. But that's actually the better part because if it's using one of the ones like that, it can actually be charged using muscle movements. And so you don't need a battery. Oh, that's cool. Because you like. Is that yeah. new tech or is that. Um... It's actually fairly old, but like it is much better nowadays. See, I like I've never had anything injected into me. Like besides like Well, that's because you're a robot. It's hard to inject things. I'm pretty called, sure it's easier it's, to inject stuff into robots because It's called installing. Or there's also um he's he's dealing with sequel injections. It's fine. It's not the same with normal people, Eric. Just update her wetware. I see, yeah, I don't see how this is much of a plot hole. There's far too many solutions. Like, far too many, and then it doesn't really affect the plot. Yeah, it's just a, don't tell us where you're going. And he's like, okay, I won't. And they're like, cool, we already know where you're going anyway. We knew you'd say that. Because we know you. None under spoilers, so then we can go to movie mistakes. Yep. Yep. That's all for IMDb. So... First plot hole from movie mistakes. In the first night with N- uh, that Naya is in Ambrosia's house, she meets with Ethan outside the house, and they talk for about one and a half minutes. When we find out Ethan was really Ambrosia with or Ambrosia, whatever, the, however the heck you say his name, I don't care. With one of those high tech masks. My question: After being in bed with both, how come Naya doesn't recognize Ambrosia is about five inches taller than Ethan? Slouching. You can make yourself look a lot shorter just by having poor posture. Also, it wasn't, like, the first night that she met with Ethan outside the house. That was way later. Were they standing or sitting? They were standing. Okay. He was crouching, though, because he was on a higher level. Oh. Can she know the difference in their heights when there's a ledge involved? I mean, he's going to... He's obviously a a master spy, I'm going to assume, because he was a, one of the Mission Impossible agents. I bet they're going to know how to make their body shape not, not look like their body shape. Especially because they do say in the beginning of the film that he has acted as Ethan Hunt before. A, as part of his job with IMF. And also on the side in his little Ethan Hunt room, he's got a Ethan Hunt standy mm-hmm. and he goes and he stands right next to it to get that right ethan hunt stance. to make sure that he slouches properly so he has experience playing ethan so i suspect that he's found ways to compensate or to decompensate <laughs> or we find out that ethan normally wears uh wears lifts yeah yeah he wears lifts those are so comfortable and also makes him taller with that one sufficiently slain, I think we can move on to the next one where the virus that's ravaging Nia is, and she's making her way to a cliff to kill herself rather than explode her explode all over Sydney with that virus. So Ethan sends his buddies to save her. But there's no way that the flight to her location would have taken that long unless John Polson decided to take Ving Rames 
for a guided tour of the Sydney skyline first, just in case he missed any of it, because it's just a couple of minutes flight time for a helicopter at full throttle. So I think that what they're saying is that uh, the flight should have been really quick to get to her. Wasn't it really quick? I mean, they leave from the island, go pick her up, come back to the island with her in short enough time that he's gone through the motorcycle chases and all the fights. That's 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 the time. So mm-hmm. I think the issue they're having is that it shows a bunch of cuts with her standing near the ledge. So so you have Naya, however the heck, whatever the heck. It's, it sounds like the Nia. way it's whatever it the way it's written it makes it look like nyan cat so that's how i keep, so that's how i keep trying to think that's supposed to be said but uh so you have nia standing on the uh standing on the cliff something happens and it cuts back to her standing on the cliff i'm thinking like the total time that's passing for her is maybe a couple minutes like when you're sick like that standing on a cliff time lasts forever mm-hmm. not that i've been sick standing on a cliff well, for science, but I, just I thought imagine, we were about to hear a story here. I just imagine that if you were like sitting there counting down the minutes to where you're uh, a viral load, deciding to jump off a cliff first to uh, pollute the water. I mean, it's just normal human waste, and it's the Pacific Ocean. It's like a drop in a bucket. Maybe the uh, salinity is too high for the virus. I think, I'm just wondering if the fit, the virus can be transmitted by other things because it is a super flu. Yeah, but most flus need to be transmitted by air. It's just kind of uh it's a coronavirus. Is it a coronavirus? They never say what type of flu it is. It's the super flu. It's super virus. Flus are coronaviruses. So it's just kind of uh that's just what cr- flus do. That's how they be. If it was a different type of virus, it would be something else i don't know maybe you can get fish flu well then it wouldn't be the fl- like did they test it on fish that's what i'm throwing out there when they're in their biocyte did they really think at biocyte and like we should make sure this only affects humans i would assume they so probably... wasn't even their goal to begin with they just kind of made the super flu to create a super cure i'm going to assume that they didn't test it on fish because fish are different than mammals like if you want to test a virus on like animals it's gonna to have to be something like similar to like humans. that's the, the thing is like veterinary like medicine is that a lot of it is very different there's not a whole lot of testing that actually happens so i just don't trust that uh jumping in the ocean is the right answer for this flu because there's a lot we don't know about it other than bellathor works within 20 hours and then you die rapidly after 20 hours. I don't think, John, that she was really planning on the aftermath of what was happening, other than she needs to not be in downtown Sydney. And in general, they don't drink the ocean water. They go. She's not like she's going to the water treatment plant and say, drink this. Anything that she does, in fact, would have to go through the treatment filter first. I'm just wondering what it's going to do to the ecosystem once it gets out. It's going to kill a lot of fish, and we're going to have tainted shellfish, so you can't eat the shellfish from the area. Much like, you know, all of the other shellfish that you can't eat because it got poisoned by something. Because the shellfish will just take whatever it is, adapt, live through it, 
and then just go, cool, now you can't eat us, humans. I would assume that's more for, like, heavy metals or whatever. Like, viruses and whatnot? I mean, a virus that kills you after 20 hours is pretty heavy metal. But not in the same way. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways. But, I mean, that doesn't change the whole fact that we don't know the uh, passage of time, really, and Mm -hmm. it's being dramatic, and... With all the slow-mo shots, it's probably, like... The whole movie probably takes place over, like, 20 minutes. <laughs> if we cut out all the slow motion and move it at normal speed, this is actually only an hour movie. Hour and a half tops. Uh, I know that generous. they... That's the thing, though, is that they could only track her location from the laptop that had recently been shot and exploded, and they talk about how they're having trouble with it. I just think that, you know, if you want it to... If you want that flight to take a little bit longer... They were having a little bit of trouble with that laptop. They tried turning it on and off again. They had to mid-flight. That's the thing. Wait, wait. Is this this before uh, Google Maps? Yeah. Uh huh. They don't even have mapping technology. They have MapQuest. Ooh. They have to print out the instructions and read them. Now, see this one. <laughs> it links to the satellite, but you had to restart the you had to restart your computer, so it has to reconnect to the satellite. Realign. Oh, yeah, it's a whole process. So, just took it took a couple of extra minutes for everything to get figured out. And they were still pretty fast, anyways. Like yeah. it was the flight there and a flight back for yeah. the the climax. It was round trip. All right. So I guess this is our final listed plot hole. When Tom Cruise is entering the inoculation chamber at Biosite Lab, he is shown entering through an airlock. While he does this, both doors can be seen open, which defeats the purpose of having an airlock. I don't think Ethan Hunt was super concerned about the containment in the facility, given that he was literally destroying everything in the inoculation chamber. Didn't the guy on the computers, like, override a glitch to open up the airlocks, though? So it said, the guy's complaining that uh-huh. they're open Well, because the guy took advantage of a glitch. He took advantage of a glitch, and, like, his complaint is just, it defeats the purpose of having an airlock. And yes, it would defeat the purpose of having an airlock, except the people who are involved in this don't care about your airlock. They don't have to follow those rules. Uh, There was a glitch involved that could open both of them. It was about moving quickly and destroying what's inside, not about actually keeping an area sealed. And considering that situation, I'm going to throw out that there's probably two or three fail-safes. Because what they're going to try and do is if the virus gets out, make sure it dies quickly. And they're going to do that with uh, multiple ways, be it uh, infrared... Light, um, heat, salinity, heat, um, the air is probably dry and that chamber it's in is probably what be low pressure. It's going to be kept at negative pressure so that, uh, the air only flows in so it can't flow out. Yeah. So I, I don't think that there's really that big, it's not a plot hole. It's just, they broke in. That means things broke. They did not follow what you, what the procedure is for the lab because they don't care about the lab procedures. I mean, normally, if you're in, the, in this kind of 
area and he's got the uh, injector guns inside the sealed chamber, but the bad guys shoot it and open everything. And doesn't that defeat the purpose of having it in a sealed chamber? Oh, that's true. That's true. Cause they shot it. It was the purpose of the sealed chamber was defeated because it wasn't bulletproof because yeah, I mean, it was Oh, and those walls aren't C4 proof. It turns out that if you take a thing and if the person who's operating it doesn't care. So I'm sorry, person on movie mistakes. I don't like your plot hole saying that if you open two doors on an airlock, doesn't it defeat the purpose of an airlock? Yes, but they don't care. What bothers me is that no one brings up as a plot hole that Ambrose's entire plan is incredibly weak. Because his plan is to get the uh, controlling portion of stocks at Biosite, release the virus, then they put out the cure, and Biosite's uh, value goes up. Goes up. But it's going to be really sketchy that he bought all those shares right before it happened, and then that. Uh, Biosite happens to have the cure ready already within 48 hours. See, I think he's planning on doing a pump and dump where he's just going to get all of the shares, pump the value, sell off as soon as it hits the big spike and take his money and run. I don't think it's going to get a big spike, though. Mm, It will as soon as they announce, hey, there's this new flu out. Luckily, we have... We have a vaccine in trials. Yes, but imagine you're uh, in the stock market and you're like, oh, these people are like, hey, this virus came out. We have the cure for the virus. You're going to be like, that's sus. I'm not. um, If I had any interest in them, it goes away because I'm like, that is tainted. You are assuming that people who trade stocks have uh, morality. It's not about morality. It's about not getting screwed over. But see, that's why that's why I use the clarifier. We have a vaccine in trial that we believe could work. You just have to make it vague enough that to fudge it a bit. I'm just saying, I don't think the plan's going to work very long. Well, that's the thing is I don't think he's planning on having it work for very long at all. I think he needs like them to make the announcement that, Hey, I think we've got a, a virus, like we've got a vaccine in trial. People go, Oh, that's kind of cool. And it goes up and then a bunch of other people go, isn't that timing a little bit off, but he'll already be selling everything he's got. Yeah. But even then, I mean, they're going to come at him and be like, Oh, you've committed fraud. There was insider trading. Obviously. Did you have a gun pointed at the CEO and the CEO is going to be like, now that I am no longer in his uh, control. Yes. Yes. This was his whole plan. And he's taken the money and run though. That's run to where the Cayman islands. Any place with a non-extradition treaty. Probably France. France is going to be like, we don't like him. He smells funny. Yeah, but he'll have loads of money and you can't get rid of him from France. And he's got to go to some place that uh, wouldn't deal with uh, anyone outside of them. He's going to North Korea. North Korea, Colombia. I don't know. And once you hit a certain amount of money, does it even matter anymore if you're going to North Korea and Colombia? Like, sure, you're a multi-billionaire, but can you spend that money? I just don't think his plan is very good. I think that generally when you decide that you're going to, uh, like, 
figure your plan is I'm going to try and blackmail the world, your plan isn't very good because it turns out you make a lot of enemies very quickly. I'm going to blackmail the world. And the world's like, what if we didn't pay you, but instead missiles? What if we send our elite spy agency after you instead? I'm just saying that I don't think his whole plan, like his plan had a lot bigger problems than just like a, a, a problem with execution. I mean, he was already, he already decided that he wanted more than the like, 37 million pounds that he was being offered. Yeah. See, my point is, is he could have taken the 37 million, then, then use that to buy, to buy the shares, buy buy the shares, then release the virus. Then the price goes up because they're like, Oh, we have the Bellafor and like, Oh, we're okay with this. And then he sells the stocks and See, makes a small, I, modest fortune. I think that looking was, like he's a. Uh, I think that was his initial plan, but when the only access he has to the virus is now in Nia, he has to accelerate it, and he's going to try and do it as quickly as possible to just make as much money as he can in a single instance. All right. So our problem here is actually that Ambrose doesn't understand a sunk cost fallacy. No. He should have abandoned his plan at that point. He should have. He should have just gone, I'll trade you this for the $37 million and then we'll, I'll work on getting that. But he wanted, the, he wanted his whole plan to happen inside of an escalated time frame, which it would not have worked. That's where I think his issue was. Oh, so I don't know why they let, uh, let her out after or before the 20 hours? Because they were trying to, it was part of their blackmail of the CEO. That, oh, maybe you have family in Sydney, and maybe you really want this uh, antivirus, don't you? Yeah, but I mean, the time frame's, time's the same. But if you wait to release her until after the 20-hour mark, then your plot actually works. But he wanted to uh Because that's apparently when it also starts to be... To spread, because you can go on an airplane and not spread it for that entire time period. Which is kind of strange. But I, they weren't upside. They weren't engineering it for transmissibility. Guess what, guys? We so can so, confer- we so can now five confer- people would have gotten it? We can not, now not confirm two million. that Biosite was not behind the coronavirus. Oh, we knew that from the beginning. Uh, I think that's why it was this whole, the big threat is that there's all of these people who could be exposed. But also his plan was, is that it was going to be a big thing and then they're going to need a... I don't think he knew how it worked. (laughs) He didn't know his own plan. I don't think he knew how it worked. He just knew that there was a super virus that was super deadly and scary looking. Oh, so the whole thing started... When they're like, oh, we need you to go get this guy. And he's like, oh, I'll go get this guy. I got to dress up as Ethan, right? And they're like, you get to dress up as Ethan. And he's like, yay. And then he's all like, ooh, that looks nasty. I bet if I had, I bet if I had that, I could blackmail somebody. I think that's how it went. 
And that was his whole plan. Is it transmitted by koalas? No, but chlamydia is. <laughs> I, I'm just saying this could have been the cl- the the cl- <laughs> got it off of a kangaroo. The, the kangaroo flu, roo flu. That's a pretty good name. Get or the flu. Did they roo flu you? The emu- well, there's got to be something that's just kind of always everywhere in Austria. Magpies, dingoes. I was gonna say. Um, have you not seen the emus? Australia lost the war with the emus. It's true. They lost the battle with the emus. No, I think they've won the war. They won many battles against the emus. The emus won the war. I don't think emus is a big a problem in modern day as they used to be. I think by How releasing the toads. What about rabbits then, John? They tried to build the fence and it didn't work. They just lose to all the animals in Australia. I'm trying to figure out what, which animal you're most likely to encounter in Australia. And that's what it's going to spread through. And I'm like, humans yeah. probably. I don't know. But I believe they have a like a magpie season or something. Oh, where, yeah, and where, swooping and whatnot. Where they just come down and swoop. And so the, those... there are spiders. Spiders don't spread disease quickly, though. I mean, but if you engineer it for these, uh, the parasailing spiders. <laughs> In spider season. In spider season. Wow, Australia's sounding worse and worse. <laughs> like, I knew they had the parasailing spiders. I didn't realize it was a season. Yeah. That's where they covered the trees. Well, I knew that, but I thought that's because they were fl- there was flooding, so the spiders came from the ground up to the trees, made their webs up there while the flooding was happening. So I guess as long as Australia's not underwater... But we know that the filming was had delays because of uh, because of the heavy rains, and so spider season was active. Spider season happens after the monsoon. Mm-hmm. Well, just take a vacation during monsoon time. And like and the kangaroos are annoying. I know that they're they're round, but I don't think they're just run, run, running through the cities. Rabbits. I don't know if the rabbits run through the cities. I know that they probably hit the suburbs in all the rural areas because they eat the crops. See, but that's the thing is that they could uh, be it, everywhere. It might be toads. Get the toad flu. Because the toads are just kind of everywhere. That That's the problem is they can't deal with the toads. I think the toads killed the emus. I'm pretty sure there's still emus there. I'm pretty sure there still are emus, but I don't think there's big of a problem. Well, yeah, it's because there's not as many, like, homesteaders and everything. Because that was the main thing. The Yeah, it was because all the crops. Mm-hmm. But now there's toads eating the crops. And the emus are going to try and eat the toads because it looks like a good bite-sized morsel. And then they die because it's a toad. Well, we'll have, to, we'll have to call an Australian and ask him. Ask an Australian. How's, the, how's that Hugh Jackman doing? He's not famous anymore, is he? Can we get him on the phone? <laughs> but I think that is all of our plot holes. Yeah. I believe so. So, should we talk about this movie? No. We're going to talk about this movie. Why, though? Because you have opinions and you can say those opinions. I'm pretty can, sure we're and you all can the say same that, opinion, uh, Richard. I, I'm, I think I'm slightly different from your opinions. Because I think it's not a great movie. I still think it's kind of a blast. Because it has 
dumb action. And if you go in knowing this is a dumb action movie, you can have dumb action fun. Oh, John, you're just remembering with rose-tinted glasses. It has the Stockholm Syndrome on you. It doesn't. I think think the really dumb car dancing is dumb. But that gives you that little thrill of, oh, this is so stupid, but it's fun to watch. So here's the thing, guys. As the person who most avowedly hates this series... Or hates the non uh the non TV Mission Impossibles. Hates the non TV Mission Impossibles to the point that this is literally the first time I have watched this film and I refuse to pay for it. I had to watch Eric's copy because I was not going to give anybody money for this film. Once I divorced myself from the fact that this had anything to do with the original TV series and I mean, they already they already did the worst thing they could do, so this film can't hurt me any more than the original one did. I guess they could have brought him back from the dead and then killed him again. They could have done that, but they didn't. So that that actually puts this movie as better than the first one, despite being dumber. And was it easier to divorce this from the series, considering it's so different in style? Of yes. I would say it was because that was honestly the thing is like, other than that one, like major character betrayal, the first movie was pretty good and was pretty on brand for a mission impossible. And they have a goal, they establish the plan. Then they have to deal with complications. And then the final reveal that some of those complications were part of the plan. This one legitimately, they wrote the action scenes first and had a right, had to write the script around it. Because John Woo was like, I want this, I want this, I want this. Figure out how they go in your script. Because if it doesn't have these, we're not doing this movie. And so, it was easier to divorce from my hatred of the Mission Impossible movies. And I'll admit, I was probably really pleased, though, that I watched it while I was super tired. Because then I wasn't quite critically analyzing the whole thing the whole time. And so it ended up being better. And again, I feel like we end up with the difference. Because Eric, you watched it alone, didn't you? I did watch it alone. You gotta stop doing that. If you know it's a dumb movie, watch it with a friend. Then you'll enjoy yourself. And then that's where we got the title for this. uh... It's true. Unfortunately, the friend I would watch it with wasn't available. Oh, so we got to start watching these together. So much time, though. I know. And it's, it, that makes it hard. It does. Because, yeah, I, I stayed up late watching this at a, until about one o'clock in the morning or so. That's not late. That's when we were watching it, too. I know. But I'm just I was thinking, crap, I got to get this movie watched before we record the next day. Um, I was not I guess I wasn't as tired because I definitely went into it more like analytical. Oh, oh. Like, for example... It does not hold up to scrutiny. It does not. I. This is probably due to it being a three-hour movie condensed down to a two-hour movie, but a lot of the cuts are very jarring in that... Okay, so this is going to be in the final climax where they're escaping the the compound on the motorcycles. You have the bad guys chasing after Ethan Hunt in the uh, very affordable uh, Ford uh, Taurus. <laughs> When you're a spy on a budget, because you just went rogue. 
Um, and you weren't willing to take your 37 million pound payout. Look, they spent all that money on those one handed uh, motorcycles. It's true. Probably, so they have to. If you're not part of the motorcycle crew. Yeah, you get the affordable Ford Taurus. <laughs> So you have Ethan Hunt creating a smoke cloud by revving the engine while keeping the brake on or something. He creates a smoke cloud. It causes the bad guys following him to overshoot a turn and get hit by a truck. Yeah. Although you can see in the cuts that the car just rolls past the truck. um, And then they cut. It shows the bad guys in the car looking at the truck, being surprised. And then all of a sudden the truck is hitting them. It's it wasn't very fluid. Can I say it was just kind of jarring like that. Also in the motorcycle chase scene, there's a part where Ethan is sliding his motorcycle around something. I think it's a similar truck. I'm not hundred percent sure because instead of showing the actual sliding scene, it just shows cut close-ups of Ethan's face as we're seeing him react to the, the stunt that's supposed to be performed. So that's another, like I'm, I'm sure John Woo's a good director. I like I like his horror stuff. Mm. And he also does a lot of action. I I'll have to see some more of it action stuff before I take make a judgment because based off of what I've seen from Mission Impossible Two, I his cuts are kind of weird. And then we also have the uh, the whole like hour cut away mm. so. He might have had a better shot of this stunt, but he this wasn't his important stunt, so he had to put it, you know. Yeah, and I will give him the benefit of the doubt. Um, another, I, I before we came down to record, we were just kind of general talking about the movie. I think we we're all on the consensus that there were too many face reveals, or like I was thinking masks. that, and then I thought about uh, story wise, and it works on paper. Yeah, story-wise, it works on paper, but the way they do the reveals in the film, it feels overused. Maybe, I think, John, you mentioned maybe if it was spread out over three hours. Yeah, if it was spread out over three hours. But... It might have not felt as close, because what we have is is our initial um, face reveal, which is the very beginning, where it's the betrayal, and we find out that... It's not Ethan Hunt. It's not Ethan Hunt. Then our next one is where he's wearing the mask at the same time as Ethan's wearing a mask. Uh, the bad guy specifically is wearing the mask. As yeah, one Ethan. guy's dressed up as Ethan. At the same time, Ethan is dressed up as the doctor. Uh, I think the doctor trying to get the uh, CEO of Biosite to uh, admit to the whole thing. And then the final one is where Ethan swaps faces with the uh, the henchman. The henchman. They have a face-off, if you would. Yes, yes, they have a face-off. Um, also a John Woo film. Which I haven't seen, so. We'll have to do it. It's some uh, some Nicolas Cage uh, stuff for you. And I do I love mean, my Nicolas Cage movies. I guess our thing is, is it's not our setup and our payoff kind of thing mm-hmm. is our problem. But it's a three-beat adventure. So maybe if, uh, I, I think our problem was actually that Ethan Hunt was wearing the mask to, uh, get the biocyte guy to admit it. If we remove that one, the other ones feel natural. Mm-hmm. 
because we have our initial villain. We keep finding out that uh, Ambrose likes to wear Ethan Hunt's face. And then the final one is Ethan Hunt wears someone else's face. And that's mm. that feels more of a twist. And I think they could have just gotten away gotten away with the old Mission Impossible standby of pump somebody with with enough drugs to make them feel like they've got a fever and they'll admit to a lot of things even if you don't have the ghost of their friend haunting them and they clearly had film of the other guy they didn't need to do a face swap they could have just used a, a voice thing and mm-hmm. yeah so I agree, it's a dumb film. I mean, shocker, the least favorite Mission Impossible film we decide is a dumb film. Breaking new ground here. Yeah. It also made a ton of money, though. Yeah. Yeah, least favorite Mission Impossible, which means it still gets itself a 6.1 on IMDb. And makes money, 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 money. Yeah. I guess it's better than being a dumb film that's not fun. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it it still it was able to spawn a sequel. I mean, it, I it mean, continued it a franchise. Multiple. Yeah, it has a franchise. Although the franchise did kind of get shaken up at, at the fourth one, when I haven't seen the third one, I hear it's not as good. It's they start getting good at around four when it gets shaken up. I, mean, I think that's when four is where they start going back to the concept of the the first movie and the series with the uh, spy thriller. To where it's semi-heist, but not quite a heist. Mm-hmm. Um, I know in the later ones, they kind of start doing the Jason Bourne thing. Like, you think that Ethan Hunt is out of the out of the uh, bureau, but they keep bringing him back in. But, I mean, we'll talk about that in a We'll have to years. find out how many times Ethan Hunt can be on the run. Mm-hmm. At least three. I know that. Because I think the last three movies, he's on the run. And it's a Tom Cruise film, so yes, he He's is literally on. running. He is going to run. Okay, guys. So I have talked about your dumb movie. Let's talk about the TV series now. Oh no, no, sorry, we can't. That's uh, like, that would that's like a patron thing. Fine, patrons. We're going to talk about some Mission Impossible at some point. We may not record it today because time, but. I'm assuming that's like a 10-hour series, probably. That'd be so long. Like, are we going to do an hour on every episode? No. No, but we are going to talk about why I why I love this series and why you might love it, too. John, I think you mentioned you've never like seen the TV series, right? I've seen a few episodes, mostly when Richard was watching them. And I've only ever seen it like as a kid when they were reruns on like late-night TV. So I know the theme song. I mean, and the everyone knows the theme song. Well, I know that, but also like the theme title or the title theme. I'll be like, honest. The first Mission Impossible thing I remember seeing is the movie, the first movie. Really? Yes. Wow. And since I don't have the uh, Mister Phelps uh, worship thing going on, it's just a really good movie. <sighs> like that. That's the thing, though. Is it is a good movie. It's just the the char- the betrayal of the character is so deep. And it's it is one of those ones where it's the no. Like if you wanted him dead or killed, like have him betrayed by 
somebody else in the organization and have Phelps get killed? Absolutely. I would buy it and I would, and then I would have been all in on all of these dumb Mission Impossible movies. But that betrayal? But you took the character that was the hero and like he has the opportunity to be corrupt, to take all, like, but he has seasons of making the right choices and doing it anyway. And so having him do this betrayal at the end of your movie is just like, yeah, cool. No, we don't, we don't care about your TV series. It, it felt, it felt upsetting. But that's a rabbit hole. We that cover is, rabbit holes for our patrons. I was going to say, we could also do like a pitch show with maybe, okay, how do we get the, the lovable, goody two shoes uh star from the tv series and bring him down to we don't we don't assassinate his character no don't you just let him let him just let him die <laughs> let him pass the torch on to ethan hunt and now ethan hunts the star of our new tv our new movie series and it would have been okay or have have a face reveal and it's not really a Phelps and the have whole it, time. Yeah, and have it have been somebody pretending to be Jim Phelps the whole time. It was Jim as a person wearing a Jim Phelps mask and then putting another mask over the Jim Phelps mask. Yeah. Like, just have it not be Jim. Or, it was James Bond the entire time. Or don't even have that guy be Jim Phelps. Like, don't bring the character in to make him the bad guy. Maybe it would have been cameo. better to do. Like, yeah. Like a side. Like, you see maybe his name tag on the wall. In yeah. The back. Have like a photo of one of the, like here, you know, this is from our original IM team back in the sixties. And, and Ethan hunts all like, I'm going to be this guy one day. Yeah. He's like, Oh, it's going to be a hard shoes to fill. No, you're going to have to be seems a little too, well, you don't even have to do that. Just have like a picture of him in the background as like a former commander of an IM team. And you know what? All of us Mission Impossible people would have been, ah, oh, Jim Phelps, yeah. Maybe even put like uh, MIA or whatever, like missing in action or. Yeah. Like, but, or if you're going to include him, you know, have him get killed when things go, go horribly wrong. It's tradition to kill a mentor. We expect mentor characters to die. I mean, they've literally been doing it for thousands of years. It's kind of the trope now. Never be a mentor in someone else's story, guys. Uh, anyhow. So, yeah, we are, we've definitely veered far too into territory that we we're going to do in a different episode. As a patron special, as a thanks to our patrons. Because thank you guys for allowing us to do this thing that we love doing, even if I get angry about the movie. I feel like you were less angry at this one. See, once I... Once I had calmed down from the betrayal of having to, in some way, support this thing, I was able to go, okay, you know what? I have to watch it. I might as well have a good time. And I didn't watch it alone. I definitely watched it tired. Because, <laughs> boy, I wasn't sure I was going to stay awake through the whole thing. But thanks, John Woo, for making a movie that it's not that it's easy to stay awake through. You did not make the crime of being boring. But you should leave a like if you enjoyed this episode and comment on Facebook and tell us 
which Australian animal do you think will carry the virus the furthest? Are you team emu? Are you team koala? Or do you want a Tasmanian devil going blah, 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 and sneezing all over the place? Well, they can give you cancer by biting you. They give each other cancer by biting them. That's kinky. I mean, they're dying, John. It's, it's a it's a horrible thing. Plus, they live in Tasmania, not Australia. That's right next door. It's an island on an island. It's an island to themselves. Anyways, if you would like to debate the... Uh, I guess... I think there might be Tasmanian devils in Australia. Anyways, besides the point, if you would like to debate any of this on Twitter, because that's what Twitter's really for, let us know at Plot Spackle in 280 characters or less. Or, if you have found yourself in possession of the John Woo cut, send us a link. We might watch it. Eric. Eric's shaking his head like he doesn't always try and get the uh, director's extended cuts on on accident. Quote, unquote. Let's just say I was glad I didn't get this director's cut on accident. Maybe you'd enjoy it more. What if it was a better movie? Well, and if frogs have wings, they wouldn't hit their butts when they've jumped. Now, see, I'm going to go this back to the Tasmanian Devils. Have you not seen a Tasmanian Devil cartoon, Eric? Yes, I've seen a Tasmanian cartoon. And how does it always start? Um, something happening, and then all of a sudden, the camera, the frame pans. I guess it's not a camera, but and then you just see total destruction of. No, every Tasmanian Devil's uh, cartoon starts with the Tasmanian Devil getting dropped out of a crate, out of the sky, accidentally into a new area where it does not belong, like Australia. Mm. Everything's airdroppable once, and they also could have Tasmanian Devils in the Zeus which are probably really boring in Australia because all the really terrifying animals are in your backyard. And then you go to a zoo and say, whoa, that's a crazy looking thing. That's not going to kill me. 